This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high-quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Students across the U.S. are demanding action to prevent future gun violence. And Robert Mueller has issued an extensive indictment related to Russian interference in the 2016 election. We discuss the week's news and talk with Tabitha Eisner about her run for Congress. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode. We are so excited. We're going to record our bonus episode for our patrons, our supporters of the show. We're going to talk about political couples because I bullied Beth into it, and I really like to talk political couples. I used to have a minor obsession with first ladies. Like, I love first ladies. So I'm excited about the bonus episode. And I'll be there, and I'll be excited with Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have a lot to cover today. I think the first thing we want to talk about is how, fortunately, the news of the Parkland shooting is not dying down, and the students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School are not allowing that to happen. And it's a really interesting cultural moment, I think, to see these teenagers demanding some action from policymakers. I am here for these kids. They are giving me life. I love them all so much. I want to kiss them on their teenage faces. I think they are killing it they're doing such a good job they are channeling their righteous fury and i'm just so impressed with them raising money planning national marches and walkouts and just refusing to feel powerless i'm so inspired i can't i can't even put into words how inspired i am by these kids i've been thinking about how how much this speaks to change between when we were in high school and today in terms of how we understand crisis You know, there are a lot of different ways that you can react to trauma as a teenager. I feel like it is a healthy indicator for our culture that these teenagers are so immediately able 
to speak so articulately about what happened. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I think we should say that this is a upper income, highly educated, resourceful group, just population wise in Parkland. They're a pretty empowered group, as you can tell. And I think that's awesome. And I, well, I don't know if it's a generational thing. I mean, it's not like we haven't seen this before. I don't think we, it's not like we haven't seen in America. We don't have a history of young people, college kids, high school kids saying this isn't working. This isn't working. We want to do something different. Right. Young people have historically been drivers of change. What I'm thinking about more specifically is young people who have directly experienced Mm -hmm. trauma. And I hope this means that we have developed a better understanding of how to respond to trauma. I mean, you and I both went through very different kinds of trauma as teenagers from each other. And yours more similar to what's happened at Parkland. And I think that adults understood so much less how to deal with that then than they do now. And so I'm glad that we are doing better enough to empower these kids to be talking about all the issues that they're talking about. Well, you know, when I when it happened at my high school, it's so eerie, the similarities, because we just had we recently had another school shooting in my very small community. Then to follow it, because what happened in Heath, you know, a year later, there was Columbine and the scale was so much bigger and so much scarier, sort of like in Parkland. And then we did have we had the uh, Million Mom March, which my mother and I and a friend and I and her mother went to. Rosie O'Donnell was like leading a lot of that from her talk show at the at the time. And so it was very like adult driven. It wasn't driven by the teenagers. This feels different to me. But I did have that. I had that desire to do something to make change to say like. This isn't good enough. And, I, and I'm so in awe of these kids being able to take that even further. The other aspect of the Parkland shooting that we should mention today is that we're continuing to learn more about how all the signs of risk surrounded the young man who did this. Now there's a conversation happening about the fact that the FBI had been warned about him and didn't act on it. It's not just the FBI. Like, there are lots of places where people had notice of this guy. And I think one question is what exactly could have been done? And yeah, where that's did my the question. Thing, where did things fall apart? I mean, I think there's things, legislative takeaways from what went wrong with this particular yes. shooter. Like, there are states in which if someone gets flagged, you can basically issue a firearms, like, protective order. Like, they can't get a gun. Like, they get... You get your gun rights stripped from you because you've exhibited all these warning signs. Florida does not have such a law. I think that would be something we could talk about. I also would really very much like to talk about how a 19-year-old who could not purchase a beer could purchase an AR-15 without so much as a waiting period. I would very much like to talk about that. That is bananas. He couldn't purchase a beer legally, but he could purchase an AR-15. When we first talked about gun violence on Pansy Politics, I mentioned that I think it should be harder to get a gun than a funnel cake. That's often not the case, unfortunately, despite laws intended to make it so. This was entirely preventable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what those kids are saying. And they're yes, right. They're right. This they're was entirely absolutely preventable. Right. And I think, you know, if the FBI had protocol it didn't follow, then yes, we absolutely need to talk about that. But if they had no legislative options available to them once they realized this kid was a threat, then we got to talk about that, too. I got to say, I don't think it's just the Parkland teens that are becoming, I'm going to go ahead and say the word radicalized, more passionate, whatever, however you want to put it. Like we have been getting so many emails from listeners who are like, I used to think, yeah, I get it, the Second Amendment. And yes, I understand that people need to have guns. And now I'm like, whatever, take them away. I'm ready to just revoke it and, and take the guns away. That's nothing I ever heard when I was a teenager. This is only happening recently where I feel like moderate people are like, you know what? If that's the only solution is to revoke it, then fine. I mean, I feel like the NRA is doing themselves a huge disservice by being so intractable that people feel like the only solution is to just tear it down. I'm going to be honest. I think that each side of the gun control debate by painting the other side is intractable. The result is pushing the entire country to the left on this issue. 
Mm-hmm. Eric, the listener who wrote the post that we put on our blog in support of gun rights, has continued the conversation with us. And I, I really appreciate that. I find him to be such a thoughtful, open individual to, to discuss this with. It's nice to have somebody who pushes my thinking about it because I have certainly moved left on this issue. And one of the things I said to him over the weekend is that if I worked for the NRA right now, I would be saying we must find reasonable policies that we can support because if another tragedy happens with no legislation, understanding that that could happen, we could pass Mm -hmm. lots of restrictive legislation and still have another tragedy. But if you keep having tragedies with nothing done in between, the result is going to be a huge portion of the population saying, fine, get rid of all of them. I'm done having this discussion. Whereas I think anything being done would give such hope to people. And more than anything, we need a cultural statement. And this is a weird thing for me to say as a conservative. I get that. (laughs) But we need a cultural statement that our priorities are shifting on this issue. When people are circulating Facebook posts that say things like, Apparently, we need to thank our school children for dying to protect our Second Amendment rights. You have a nation that is crying out for something to be said, some kind of leadership from Washington to say, enough. I think guns can be most effectively legislated on the state level because I think guns can be treated like cars and we can get very serious about what it means to be a gun owner. I think that could be a position of stature if we did all of this well, but we will never get to that conversation if we continue to have a nation that looks like and that every objective piece of evidence indicates a group of legislators in Washington who have been bought and paid for by the gun lobby. We have to break that logjam to get anywhere on this. And I don't mean a listening tour. I don't want a stupid listening tour. No. just want to say that real clear. There are lots of bills drafted. Debate them. Move on. I have to believe that many of these guys have been in politics long enough that they realize how absurd they sound. And maybe they just believe that we've sounded absurd for so long that and, and still got through and this is this is the the absurdity that we have to argue on behalf of to keep our seats. Uh, maybe that's the case, but when they they prance out the same things and it just sounds so empty, it doesn't even sound like they believe it. Not forgetting that we are talking about legislators who had their own act of gun violence. Like that's, that's right. what's so mind blowing to me. They experienced it themselves. I was watching James Lankford on Meet the Press this weekend, and he's a mixed bag for me. I I agree with him sometimes. I don't sometimes. Uh, I appreciate some of the work that he's doing with Amy Klobuchar right now to um, protect our elections, for example. And he really came on trying to be this reasonable Republican voice on gun violence, I think. And then as the questions started getting more specific, you could almost see in his face the pain of trying to figure out how to ride the line on this issue. When he was asked whether an AR-15 is a hunting weapon, and he tried to make the case that it that it can be for an individual gun owner, you could just see in his face that this is soul-sucking to try yeah. to do this, you know? And I, I felt sorry for him, honestly. I'm sure that is a position that very few of our listeners will share. But I can see how reversing decades of talking points on this issue is hard. We just have to be big enough to do that. Mm-hmm. I feel like soul sucking is a good transition to the Mueller indictment. Thoughts? <laughs> I spent Saturday morning between the hours of 5 and 7 a.m. reviewing all 37 pages of the Mueller indictment, which might be soul sucking for some, but I found it quite intellectually stimulating. <laughs> If you would like to read my complete thoughts on that, they are on Twitter. Because I really think it's important to go to primary sources on things like this. I did not read any coverage of the indictment until I had read the document itself. And I think that was helpful to me. So I can do sort of a quick overview for those of you who didn't spend your Saturday morning that way. The Mueller indictment is a very detailed story of Russian interference in our elections, including and not confined to our 2016 presidential election. I think the choices that the Mueller team made to include so many specifics in this indictment are interesting and important and strategic. The government has charged 
13 individuals and three entities, all Russian, on a variety of counts. This group of people, this operation, I'm just going to collectively refer to it as an operation. This operation started studying the division in the United States around race, around religion, Republican versus Democrat, around specific personalities. They studied our language. They studied our hashtags. They studied the way we click and like and retweet. And they started buying up accounts and creating accounts to spread information. And this started as early as 2014. By 2016, they were running on an enormous budget. They were transferring money in and out of PayPal accounts and U.S. bank accounts. They had made a decision to support via social media posts and emails that turned into actual human gatherings. So this is not all electronic. Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders to specifically discredit Hillary Clinton. The indictment also mentions specifically discrediting Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. So these are the objectives going into the 2016 election. After the 2016 election, they used these accounts and emails and groups to both support and detract from Donald Trump. They continued to be sort of hashtag MAGA types, and they also encouraged rallies around the whole not my president idea. So this is both about Donald Trump and not about Donald Trump. I think that unless you're talking to Donald Trump, (laughs) unless you're talking to Donald Trump, which is an excellent point. But, but, you know, so they did support him, but that is not the entire story. The entire story is that they are they are screwing with us. This Mm -hmm. is an act of war in a lot of ways. And I know the right wing media doesn't want to take it to that point. I don't know how else you read the level of interference, the depth of operation happening here and the intention behind it, which seems clearly to sow discord. And there was crime involved beyond this disinformation. They stole American identities, social security numbers, dates of birth. They laundered money. This isn't all sort of hypothetical. It translated into crimes that we have known as crimes for a long time. I think, you know, for me, the first part that was shocking is that it had been going on for so long, that they'd been planning it for such a long period of time since 2014, and that they were willing to adapt to whatever divide would most help them sow chaos. I don't really understand the emphasis on rallies. I don't I don't understand why they were always so interested in, in putting rallies together. I guess that's what that's what's that's what I'm confused about. Like I don't understand chaos for chaos's point if you weren't trying to push forward somebody that you thought would help your policies. But I guess that the idea is just to hurt us. It's just to harm our political systems and our national politics. And that's really scary. You know, what I woke up thinking about, <laughs> you're going to be like, I can't believe you took it there. But I do feel like the first the first takeaway for me is like, maybe we should just get rid of the Electoral College now because they can't sway millions of votes at a time. And it was so easy to exploit that particular system. Like the people saying, well, you need to go look in Florida because it's a battleground state and you need to highly target right here because this is where you could move enough votes to affect change in our election systems. And so after reading enough about that, I was like, all right, well, I wasn't really convinced this was a great idea to begin with, but I'm sure as heck ready to get rid of it now. Well, they they did quote emails saying focus on purple states like Florida and Colorado. Mm -hmm. My read on the rallies, and I am by no means an expert, and I want to be very careful not to speculate about anything in a way that's irresponsible here. My read on the rallies, though, is is almost a test to see if if you are actually moving things in the Mm -hmm. direction that would move votes. Now, the indictment does not allege any tampering with the voting process itself. And I think that's important to know. The indictment does not say anything about the Russian government or Vladimir Putin. It is all captioned in a private way. The indictment also makes it very clear that the special counsel's office knows way more than is in the indictment. Mm. It frequently refers to persons known and unknown to the grand jury. It's obvious that this is one piece of what happened, and it is perhaps a small piece. I think that's an important point to make with the with the election, what you were saying about that they did not, that there's nothing in the indictment about them interfering with electoral systems. Yeah, nothing in the indictment, but we right. do know that several states had their systems 
tampered with and, and and hacked. And so that is a thing that happened that we know about. I mean, I was reading a thing in the Post this morning about how so many states are trying to move back to paper ballots because there's so many concerns about this moving forward. And that's really what I want to say about the president's responses to the indictment, because he is focused on what the indictment doesn't say instead of on what the indictment does say. What the indictment does say clearly is that individuals and entities from Russia intentionally and with serious organization and funding tampered with our elections. And you can debate what tampered means, but they were involved in a serious and criminal way in our elections. That's what the indictment says. Now, the indictment doesn't say a ton of things. It doesn't say that my closet needs to be reorganized. That doesn't make it less true. (laughs) And you, you start a case in court on a specific set of facts limited to what needs to be proved in that case. And this is just like the announcement that we are going to bring this case. It is not the entirety of that case. So the idea that the exclusion of anything from this indictment carries a vindicating force as to everything else we might know or suspect happened in connection with the 2016 election is ridiculous. I think my takeaway about Donald Trump as a tie-up for both of these things we've been discussing this first segment Parkland and the Russian indictments is that there are some things he can do. He can exploit a controversy. He can keep us distracted. He is very good when the story revolves around him. He is not capable of leadership in times of crisis. He is not capable of looking at the bigger picture of what it means for the country as a whole. He only cares about what it means for himself and what it means to his base. He is totally and completely incapable of realizing what leadership means for the country as a whole. Like, he was so flat-footed with Parkland. He took way too long to respond. They had to, te- they had to convince him not to play golf this weekend because it would look bad. Like, he doesn't understand that we have been attacked by Russia. There's no leadership in how to respond to this or how to prevent it from the White House. He's not up for it. He's just not up for it. And to me, what this indictment indicates is that everybody else needs to step up because this problem involves him in, in some way, whether he intended it to or not. But it is also much bigger than him and mm-hmm. is going to outlast him. And, and they will get better at this over time. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to be very careful about that. I want to mention two more things before we move on briefly. One of them directly related to the idea that they will keep they will keep doing this. Uh, today on Twitter this morning, General Flynn was trending on Twitter, and I wondered why and started doing some research. And I want to speak clear that I have not been able to find anything from a source that is not a right-wing source about this story yet, but I do want to mention it. Um, I'm sure that that statement alone, depending on your worldview, colors how you will see the rest of this story, but that's not how we should approach these things, right? Like, what's happening in the Mueller investigation shouldn't be partisan, in my opinion. Okay, here's what's been going on with General Flynn, who you might remember pled guilty to lying to the FBI about his meeting with the Russian ambassador. Shortly after his guilty plea was entered, the judge in his case was recused. And I have seen some sources saying that he was recused. He did not recuse himself. And then I saw another piece saying he recused himself. So I don't know. There is also speculation in those right-wing sources that he was recused because he sits as a FISA judge. I have no idea whether he was a FISA judge as a part of the court that issued the warrant that has been at issue where the FBI apparently listened in on conversations that various people associated with the Trump campaign were having. I don't know, but that's the speculation that's out there. So a new judge is assigned, and this judge has a long history of being very hard on the Department of Justice uh, to ensure that the government is meeting its burden of proof, and I think that's a good thing. So shortly after this new judge comes on to the case, he issues an order that is a standing order in criminal proceedings where he is presiding. And it says that the government has to turn over any exculpatory evidence or evidence that would tend to disprove the charges against General Flynn to the defendant. So that order goes on in December. January 31st of this year, the Mueller team and the Flynn team agree to delay his sentencing until May. I don't know why. Last Wednesday... 
the Mueller team and the Flynn team together submitted to the court an agreed order that limits the use of any new evidence that the government produces to the Flynn team. And it says essentially that this evidence can only be used in this case not in any other, and it contains instructions for dealing with sensitive materials, and you can imagine that there'd be a lot of sensitive materials at issue in this case. Then on Friday, a couple days ago, the judge amended his standing order to say that the government has to produce exculpatory evidence during plea negotiations, which people who are writing about this are interpreting as sort of a nod to Flynn's lawyers that he could withdraw his guilty plea if the government withheld anything exculpatory during the plea negotiations. Hmm. I, again, I don't know what any of this means. I don't know how accurate it is. I wanted to mention it since I think there are a lot of bot accounts out there tweeting about this. I think this falls right into the category of sowing suspicion and paranoia and a lack of confidence and trust in our institutions. And it could very well be that there has been evidence that was improperly withheld here. So I don't know where this will go, but I want to mention it. I also want to mention that a name that I had not heard of until I started looking at the special counsel's website this weekend. Richard Pinedo entered a guilty plea that was filed on February 12th. It was entered on February 2nd. The statement of the offense says that he has been selling bank account numbers to individuals, some of whom he knew were outside of the United States. It's pretty easy to connect the dots between the Pinedo plea and the indictment that was just filed because it talks a lot about PayPal and bank accounts in the indictment. And then there is reporting uh, that Rick Gates will, in the next few days, plead guilty to the charges against him and testify against Paul Manafort. Again, I don't want to pretend that I have mapped out, like in my bedroom, what all this means or what it looks like, (laughs) but I want to try to give you as factual of an accounting of what's going on as possible. All right. Well, thanks for that. We will all be keeping... (laughs) A eye on it. I'm a little overwhelmed. A little overwhelmed. But that's why we have Beth here. Just want to say that. That's why. That's why. That's why. That, that's why Beth is here is to keep us all informed. Because I am not paying attention to that level of detail as we are. <laughs> it's a sickness, perhaps. But <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to move on and compliment the other side. Um, I wanted to compliment Florida Republican Carlos Curbelo. He was on ABC's This Week. And he stated very clearly, he said, what we need is congressional leaders, specifically in my party, to allow some of these bills to come to the floor for debate. There are a lot of Republicans who are prepared to support reasonable, common-sense gun safety laws, new laws, stronger laws that protect rights for responsible citizens, people who are responsible gun owners, but will prevent those who do harm to innocent people from obtaining these weapons. I agree, Carlos. Great job. I do not know the political makeup of the Albuquerque, New Mexico City Council, but I would like (laughs) to compliment the council for the Safe Schools and Public Places Ordinance. It was passed last year and has been in the news this week because the police department in Albuquerque has said that this legislation has been very important to their ability to investigate threats of shooting incidents. The city council in Albuquerque took up the issue that prior to their passage of this ordinance, it was not a crime to make a threat against a school on social media or through a text message. This legislation fixes that. It allows officers to detain a suspect or get a warrant to investigate those threats. And I think it's a good example of how local entities can do something. Even if you are really frustrated by what's happening in Washington, you know, talk to people in your city about what can be done to make your city safer. That's awesome. Good job, Albuquerque. Good job, Albuquerque. Well, next up, we are going to talk with Tabitha Eisner and her campaign manager, Megan Skipper, about their campaign for a congressional seat in Alabama. I'm really excited about this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, And that steamy bee treat, but wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. 
Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy I put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. We are so happy to be joined by Tabitha Eisner and her campaign manager, Megan Skipper, today. Thank you for being here. Our pleasure. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Tabitha, do you mind to tell us just a little bit about yourself and why you decided to run? Absolutely. So uh, I am a foster mom, adoptive mom, and I've spent my career working in early childhood education policy. And so uh, kids are really at the core of what motivates me and gets me up in the morning. Um, And I decided to run because I saw that um, the world needs more women in leadership and women who are really focused on uh, keeping kids safe and investing in children. I always say to people, kids are the very best investment that we can make. The return on investment for money spent on children is astronomical and uh, it's a better investment than the stock market. So even if you don't like those adorable little ones, knowing that the financial return on investment is so enormous uh, should be reason enough for us to focus there. And Megan, what made you decide to work for Tabitha? Tabitha is a very motivated, driven, and slightly stubborn person. (laughs) um, I have known Tabitha. I knew Tabitha for a little bit over a year before uh, she offered me the position. um, And uh, she had been toying with this idea of running for a while. And and we had been talking about it. And I I was just so excited. To, to have, you know, a role model like Tabitha who was like, yeah, I think I might do this, might step into this responsibility and, and really own this and make Alabama a better place. So I thought that was great. And then she goes, so do you want to be my campaign manager? And I was like, 
this is overwhelming, but of course. So she asked me a couple different times before I finally did say yes. But once I made the decision, it was actually really easy because everything that she stands for is everything that Alabama deserves. You know, I, I'm born and raised here and I've watched Alabama politics be, well, I mean, if you watch national news, you know what it looks like, fueled by corruption, fueled by false rhetoric, and, and we can't get anything done in our state legislature and our, our federal uh, representatives are also uh, just still towing that party line still still not passing beneficial legislation for Alabamians and I was so frustrated with that for my entire life and so this this opportunity to help somebody like Tabitha get elected to break that cycle that Alabamians have been in for decades is really exciting. Tabitha did you do any training like any sort of training program what was your what were your decision steps to get you to the place to decide to run? Yeah I did the she should run program which is great and it's uh, particularly good I think for candidates who are or for, for people who are just beginning to think about running it's encouraging it's motivating it's a lot of self-reflection so I enjoyed that process and that really helped me to focus in on why I would run and what uh, would be kind of my brand and how I would talk about myself women are uh, aren't very comfortable usually talking about ourselves and kind of tooting our own horns uh, so I think the She Should Run program was really helpful on that front. And then I took the Emerge Boot Camp. Emerge offers a much longer program that I would have loved to participate in, but they uh, weren't going to be offering it until 2018. And I knew I needed to get ready sooner than that if I was going to make this run. So I did the boot camp in August of 2017 for three days. And that was much more practical. So that was really helpful as well, but a different kind of program for sure than she should run. It's clear from your website that you have spent a lot of time thinking about doing this your own way. And one of the things that I really love about your site gets to a conversation we've had on Pantsuit Politics for a couple of years now. It looks to me like you are running to be a trustee for your constituents, not a delegate. Like, instead of having this issue by issue, here's where I am, you talk about core values. You seem to be saying, get to know me and trust me to make good decisions on your behalf, not buy me like a product off the shelf because of how I will vote on your kind of hot button issues. Can you talk a little bit about that? That was so beautifully put. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to steal that. Yeah, we are. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's exactly right. So I don't think that it makes sense to put forward a lot of really specific policy positions because you never get clean votes. You never simply get to say, I'm for, you know, you never get a clean up or down vote on DACA. You never get a clean up or down vote on any of these things. So it's really about how you make decisions and the kind of compromises that you are and aren't willing to make. So I I do want people to trust me and to understand what motivates me and how I think about issues. I worry about putting forward specific policy statements because I believe politics is the art of compromise. And I don't think we can get anywhere. I think the reason that we're in the situation we're in in America right now, that we're as divided as we are and that we have a government that passes so little legislation and you know has such a hard time bringing people together is precisely because we have forced politicians to you know, lay out these very specific policy statements and then yelled and screamed when they had to compromise on those as opposed to acknowledging that that's life. That's adult life. You compromise. Mature adults understand that and recognize that. So it's a bit of a risk. We've gotten a lot of pushback on the fact that we haven't put out very specific policy statements, but it is very strategic and intentional decision. Can you tell us about your race, sort of what your challenges are, what you're what you're looking at closer you get to election day? Absolutely. Uh, so we have a primary. That's June 5th. Then uh, the general, obviously, in November. The primary on the Republican side is going to be particularly interesting because the incumbent, Martha Roby, is very unpopular, even among Republicans. Mm. And uh, in large part because she spoke up against Donald Trump in 2016 uh, before he was the nominee and said, you know, this is not someone that she could support. Certainly, that was a problem for the very, very conservative folks um, who were big Donald Trump fans. 
it became a bigger problem for her later on when she then ended up kind of cozying up with Donald Trump after he was elected. Mm. Then people felt like a new round of people were upset that she was kind of changing her tune on that. So that's interesting. Constituent relations is also a a big deal in our district, and she has not been terribly responsive to people in our district. That's kind of an understatement. So she's going to be primaried from the right and from the middle, and it's going to be a rough, rough time for Republicans. So we think there'll probably be a primary runoff on the Republican side, and that gives us a little extra time on the Democratic side as well. So hopefully that bodes well for us. So when you talk about your core values, compromise is clearly coming forward, your commitment to investment in children. What are other things that you want people who know nothing about your campaign to know about you? My core values are really based in my faith. Um, I was brought up in the church and I'm an ordained minister. And so my faith is a very important part of who I am. And it motivates a lot of my understanding about how society works and how people live together in community. So this notion that that Christianity belongs to the right has been a challenge to me for a long time. And uh, the way that I read the gospel is that it's really about taking care of people and uh, being committed to the common good, to feeding the hungry and caring for the sick. Office, much more than I expected, is a management job. It's about delegation and empowering the people around you. I started out as very me-centric task, and I could manage uh, things on my own. And, and it shifts very quickly. When you start thinking about running, it's hard to talk to people about it because it kind of has to be secret for a while. So it's this very internal process. Um, for month after month, it swirls around inside of you and not beyond a very small group of trusted advisors. And then once it kicks off, it needs to be not at all about you and entirely delegated to other people. So empowering people and trusting people and delegating responsibility to all sorts of other people, definitely something that uh, I didn't see uh, how true that would be, how big a part of this process that would be. What about you, Megan? What's been the most surprising part for you? I think two, it's twofold for me. I have come into this understanding of campaign work as uh, not a means to an end, but as a part of a a wider process. And so when I first took this job, I've always done community work. And so this is my first campaign position, but I've always looked at things of, okay, how can we join community together to reach a common good towards some sort of goal? Suddenly I found myself in this campaign position and I thought it would be nothing like that. And it turns out it's exactly like that. And so I, Tabitha, Tabitha as well, we approach this campaign as a community service to our community. Every phone bank is an is an opportunity to reach out to somebody who may not know about a democratic process or may not know that they need to be able to vote to advocate for themselves. Every community forum is a way to build community amongst folks in a specific neighborhood or in a specific city and teach them about issues and then teach them also how to advocate for it, which is that's part's really exciting for me is teaching people to advocate for themselves and stand up and be active participants in democracy. You know, a campaign isn't just a sprint until November and then you win and then it dissipates. That's not mm-hmm. that's not good sustainable sustainable work in my opinion. So I prefer to view this campaign as a way to bring groups together who are already doing amazing organizing, you know, as a way to ignite excitement amongst a base of people, no matter who they are, I don't care about party, getting people excited about getting involved in democratic process and then giving them tools to have it continue after an election. So sure, Tabitha gets elected in in November and we celebrate because we worked really hard for that goal. But then what? How do you hold Tabitha accountable after that? How do you hold um, your local officials accountable? What group are you now a part of that does civic engagement? And I think that's that's very important for me as far as this goes. And then also just on the logistical side, not just the ideological side, campaign work changes every week. And so Tabitha and I talk all the time. I have a different job description every week. I've been on this campaign since the inception. Um, Tabitha announced October 1, and I was working volunteer base on that point. And then November 6, I officially started, which was 
actually very cool because that was almost a year to the day after Trump got elected. So that was a cool round full circle moment for me. But where I started was as Tabitha's like personal assistant, helping her kind of what she explained, you know, helping her start to delegate and start to think about the campaign as a broader thing. And now we have an office and we have a volunteer base and we're talking about hiring staff. And so, I mean, even just in the last couple of months, it's a completely different position. And that's really cool too. Thinking on your feet, constantly adjusting. And that's the, that's the entrepreneur side of, of it as well. That's awesome. I love the idea of a campaign as an act of community service. And it's mm-hmm. sad to me that when you said that, it struck me as so brave and radical and out there when yeah. isn't that what the whole ball game should be? That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. But I think particularly in Alabama, um, there's a culture here of one party life. So the Republican Party has had such a stronghold that there hasn't been a healthy civic discussion. People don't talk politics. You can talk Republican politics, but talking within your group is not the same thing. But there haven't been these kind of debates and engagements in the public realm because there was an assumption that the whole populace was overwhelmingly Republican. So as part of the Doug Jones election, that culture has started to change and people are now talking and groups are now forming and they, you know, areas, counties where there were previously no democratic organizations, no progressive organizations are, have developed groups and they're meeting regularly and trying to figure out, can we meet publicly? What if we told people that we existed? (laughs) And I mean, literally having secret Facebook groups that debate about whether to go public, whether to make open up, you know, and show that we actually exist as a group. And um, so that's a really exciting turn in our culture as a state to get to a point where we're having civil discourse about politics, acknowledging that there's more than one side to an issue. We have to support those organizations. They got really excited with the Doug Jones campaign, but they need to have a new project to work on and new issues to be talking about and a structure or a format a context in which to have those conversations. So that's a big part of what we're doing is trying to say to those groups, uh, you know, this is an opportunity for you to have continue to have those conversations with your neighbors and within your community. And how can we support you doing that? That's awesome. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin. So it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earth Breeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout.
Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. As a disaffected Republican, I find what you're doing really refreshing. And I hope that a, a result of the mess in which we find ourselves politically right now is that we will all be called home to some more fundamental values and to, to that sense of community that it sounds like you're trying to cultivate in Alabama. I wonder how you think the purposefulness that you're bringing to your campaign would translate to being in the United States Congress. People think about Congress as being you know, the opportunity to vote on big national legislation. And it certainly is that. But you're one of 435 people voting on these national issues. So you're a really small part of the conversation. Meanwhile, back in Alabama, I would be a big part of the conversation. I would have a bully pulpit. I would have uh, the influence to bring people together who might not otherwise come together. And so I think the job is just as much about what you can do on the home front and how you can make conversations happen um, and pull people together. So I'd like to see that part of the job really strengthened. I also think that on the on the Washington DC side of the job, a big part of what, you know, if, if all you do is vote, it's a very small job. So there has to be more going on. If you really want to get something done, you need to be the broker. You need to be someone who's leading the way towards compromise. And that's what I feel like we're practicing now is getting people together with differing ideas and trying to forge a compromise and a potential way forward. So that's where I think sometimes it's really helpful uh, that I'm a pastor by training as well, because I understand that people are hurting and they're speaking from their hurt and their pain and their fear and their anxiety. And it sounds like they're making a policy argument, but what they're actually doing is expressing their, their inner emotional life and their fears about what's coming in the future. So being able to meet someone there and pastor to them and say, I hear your anxieties and I recognize and empathize with your fears and we need to take those seriously. We need to take those concerns seriously as we move forward um, in trying to devise a policy solution. Because a policy solution that does not address those underlying fears isn't going anywhere, even if it's the right thing, even if all the data points to mm -hmm. that being the right answer, it's not going anywhere. And I think as a pastor, I'm used to thinking that way. I think that's something powerful that I could bring to those uh, internal conversations in Washington. I love it. Is there anything that we haven't talked about today that you, uh, Tabitha or Megan, want the Pantsy Politics community to know? How about how they can support you? Oh, always that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. As um, the lady who's run for office. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so let's do that. I'm going to leave that to you to do. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that I would say is, I would say to women who are thinking maybe someday they would run, and men who are thinking that now is the time to get involved in a campaign and learn how this works. There is no better way to get a sense of whether politics is for you than working on a campaign and seeing what it's really like. I'm grateful for the experiences that I had working on campaigns in the past, and they really gave me a much better sense of what I was getting myself into. You know, maybe it's not campaigning, but being a part of one of those organizations in the community is so important to start practicing talking about issues and figuring out uh, what your voice sounds like and how you can build relationships. So much of what you do as a candidate is build relationships and try and make sure that you have a, a vast and varying network of people who trust you. Um, and trying to build trust when you're a candidate is 
a lot harder than trying to build trust when you're a community member advocating for something. So go build that trust right now. Go make sure people in your community know that you're paying attention and looking for solutions now so that it doesn't sound uh, disingenuous when you're a candidate trying to do that same thing. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. So how can we get involved, Megan? Yeah. So um, you can find us um, on our website that you guys have already mentioned, TabithaEisner.com. Eisner spelled I-S-N-E-R. Or you can find us on Facebook, Tabitha Eisner for Congress, or Twitter, at Tabitha K, or on Instagram, at Eisner. 2018. We are very intentional about being very responsive. Um, we use social media as an organizing tool as well. It's not just a cool place to talk about polit- politics or policy. It's also a really easy way for y'all to get in touch with us. So um, we're really responsive on Facebook messages, emails, anything like that. So if you'd like to get involved that way. And then of course, because it's politics, we're always accepting donations. Campaigns are expensive and we are probably, you know, we're challenging People like Martha Roby, she's going to have a lot of money on hand already. She's an incumbent. That's just the reality that we're dealing with. And so, you know, campaigns as of right now cost a lot of money. We wish they didn't, but we've got to work within the system. So um, if you feel so inclined, toss us a couple a couple of dollars to help us keep organizing our community. Well, thank you both so much for being here. I want to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Dr. Susan Diamond, who connected us, uh, Tabitha. Dr. Diamond is my pastor. I think the ethic of care that she brings to the congregation is very evident evident in your remarks too. So I can see why there is a friendship there. And just thank you for doing this. Thank you both for your service to the country and to Mm -hmm. um, Alabama and to women and for joining us. Thank you. Happy to do so. Thanks so much for having us. For a variety of reasons, I have been thinking about the concept of a bucket list and about how I could come up with a format for my bucket list that enables me to better manage it, like, and, and <laughs> think about it. <laughs> I mean, you had me a list. I'm, I'm totally on board for this. <laughs> so I want to tell you the categories that I've come up with for, I think, a well-developed bucket list and see what you think. So I have a section of things that are about creation, a section of things that are about exploration, one about contribution, And then one about enjoyment, just kind of miscellaneous things that don't fit somewhere else. So like we have crossed off one of my bucket list items because we have written a book now. And that is in my creation category. Exploration, I want to spend a month sometime with Chad in Alaska. Just as an example. I have multiple bullet points under each of these, but just to give you an example. So like the podcast is sort of part of my contribution bucket list, but I have a lot more things there. And then I have a really random enjoyment one that I think you'll laugh at. It is my desire before I die to be the voice of some kind of technological product. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be such a good Alexa. I totally dig it. You would be a great Alexa. Although I feel like I have a gender hang up about this. Some of these assistants need to be male voices. I'm just throwing that out there. I totally agree. I have my Siri set to an Australian male voice. It's delightful. But since I have been a child, I have, like, done things like, the moving sidewalk is ending. Please look down. And I think that I have it, and I just really want to do it someday. I love it. I love it so much. So I have been thinking about kids' music. One of my dear friends, listener of the pod, Mike Baker, has a new kids' album. It's called It's the Johnny Shortcake Show. Y'all, you got to get it. It's so good. It's so good that I thought one of the songs needs to become um, a new Pantsuit Politics theme song. It's called Collaboration Station, which is what we're all about here at Pantsuit Politics. So we're going to pay you a little piece of Collaboration Station now, but we're also going to share the entire song at the end of this week's The Nuanced Life. So you got to check out the Johnny, it's the Johnny Shortcake Show if you like um, funky, awesome kids music. Because I, are you a kids music? Do you listen to kids music with your kids or do you listen to regular music? All the time with kids. Yeah, I really feel strongly. I heard this once and I think it's so true. I listened to this guy. He used to write a blog about kids music. I don't remember his name. But he said, look, you know, to develop an appreciation for music and kids, 
They need to be listening to things that are about their lives. Like, your five-year-old's not falling in love. So, like, listening to songs about romantic love does not connect with them on an emotional level that makes them appreciate what music can do, like connect you to your own life. And so I'm a big believer in kids' music. They Might Be Giants has great kids' albums. My favorite kids' artist is a, a man named Justin Roberts. He has the most amazing kids' songs, like, that will make you cry. Oh, my God, y'all, he has a song called Giant Sized Butterflies about the first day of school. And they talk about, they're telling the kid, like, you've got butterflies, and we had butterflies. Plus, when you brought me home from the hospital, y'all, it is so good. Oh, makes me cry. I'm, like, tearing up right now just thinking about that song. But this is uh, the Johnny Shortcake Show. It's really fun. It's, like, super psychedelic and funky. And I just I heard Collaboration Station. I'm like, oh, my gosh. The song is, like, keep it nuanced in um, song form. So we'll play a little bit of the, that for you now as we close out the show. And the entirety will be on the Nuance Life on Wednesday. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all. We all have things that we can do. We all have limitations